Are you as encouraged as I am today? That we have this good, good God. That all of our life, when we look backwards, it's like he's always been there. And he's always been good. Matt, I love that song, but I can't sing that song. I cry every time we sing that song because God has been so faithful to me all of my days, and I'm just so thankful for God. And it's because he's put us on this firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It doesn't matter what hits us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never going to change. He's always going to be there. He'll be my firm foundation. Well, aren't you thankful for Jesus? Let's pray together. Could we please, Father? Thanks for Jesus, who came to this earth to die for sinners like us, that we could be made right with you so that not only do we have a, a, a secure future in heaven, but we have a Savior who walks with us every single day that we live. And you've never failed us. And you're never going to fail us. God, help us today to see how much you love us and help us to respond to that love with hearts that said, I really want to know Jesus better and better and better. So God, speak to our hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat and turn your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Philippians chapter 3. I'm so glad you're here today because uh, I want to share with you something that in my Bible reading a while ago I came across. And, you know, Phil never uh, has me do a series. He always says, do whatever you want. That's a tough bill to fill sometimes because, like, what do I want to preach on? But when you read God's Word, He always gives you something to speak on. And I love that about what he does for me in that. And so when I was reading through Philippians 3, I came to my familiar passage in Philippians chapter 3 that I love to read. And every time I read it, it just humbles me and cuts me to the core of who I am and say, is this really true about me? You know, every once in a while, you have to do a little heart searching. Did you know that in your life? And really say, am I where I need to be with, with God? In this one today, I want to talk to you about this fact, really knowing Jesus, If I were to go to New York City and take a random picture of somebody and flash it up on the screen and say, how many of you know this person? Everybody would go, no idea who that person really is. And there are some sitting here today or some of you who are watching online today and glad you're with us who have no idea who Jesus is. You've never met Jesus. You've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. So some of you here today really need to find out who Jesus is. Then there are some seated here today that if I put a picture of Abraham Lincoln up, everybody would go, oh, that's Abraham Lincoln. We know who Abraham Lincoln is. The trouble is, none of us know Abraham Lincoln. If you do, I'd like to meet you afterwards and see how old you really are. We don't know Abraham Lincoln. We know who he is, but we don't know him. And some of you here today are watching online You know who Jesus is. I mean, if you saw one of the artist renditions we're used to, you'd say, oh, that's Jesus. But you don't know him. You know about him, but you don't know him. The tragedy is that some people have grown up in church. They've even gone to Sunday school since they've been young, but they still don't know Jesus. That's why so many people today, especially of younger generations, seem to be walking away from Jesus and the church, because they don't know Jesus. They've never really met him and who he is. 
And that's why as a church, it's so important to undergird all of our teaching with not only do you know the facts, but to do, you, do you really know who Jesus is? And then there are some in this category. I was talking to Phil about this today. It, it hit me that, you know, I, I used to know a lot more about Phil than I do now. When he was uh, my music pastor and when he was uh, my executive pastor, I'd see him every day. We'd spend hours together in the executive pastor. And we'd, uh, listen, I could tell you what Phil was going to decide almost any time he was going to decide it. And he could do the same for me. But it's been a number of years since I've been around Phil on a daily basis. He's changed, I'm not. <laughs> and so I may not always be able to predict, I can usually come pretty close what Phil would be thinking, but I don't know him the way I used to know him. Is he still my friend? Yes. Do I still love him? Yes. But because I'm not around him every day, I don't know all those intimate details of his life like I used to know him. And that's the way some of you are with Jesus. There was a day in your life when you were closer to Jesus than you are today. There was a day in your life where you used to thrive in your Christian life and now it's kind of like things have become mundane or things have become a little old, a little stale. And you don't walk with Jesus like you used to walk with Jesus. And there are some of you who really know Jesus. Colleen and I have been married 50 years and I can tell you what she's going to do almost every time there's a situation in front of her. We're together every day. In fact, I've, it's getting worse the older I get. John and Kathy, are you guys like that? It's like, man, you know, if I'm not around her, it's like, what happened to her? Where'd she go? I, it's, no, it's better. You're right. But my, my, yeah, you used to work together. Now you're together. It's like, people say, what do you do? What do you do when you're retired? Hey, guys, let me tell you. Remember before you got married, you want to spend all the time you could with her? Now you get to. <laughs> you even get to go to the grocery store together if you want to. You get to do all sorts of things. And, and I know her really, really well, and she knows me really, really well. And I've gotten so bad with this that sometimes when I'm gone from her for several hours, I just, I, I just want to go back home. Why? Because that's where she is, and that's where I want to be. And that's the way God designed our relationship with Jesus to be. That we know him so well that we desire to be with him. We desire to have his presence surround us. We desire to be in intimate relationship with him. That's what he saved you to become. He didn't save you just to go to heaven. He saved you to have an intimate relationship with him. To really, if you will, to really know Jesus. So you're in the book of Philippians, chapter three. I want you to see with me, if you would. Um, let's just look at, at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's where this whole thing is found. So how am I gonna get to know him? We'll discuss what that is in a minute. How do I get to understand who he is? How do I get this intimate relationship with him? Here's the first thing you need to do. To really know Jesus, you have to put your past in your past. Go put your past in your past. You see, how do I do that? What's the act of putting my past in my past? Paul had an incredible list of attributes. Uh, look at them in your Bibles, if you would, in, in verse 
For, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised of the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Here's this guy who had this incredible list of accomplishments in the Jewish faith. And he thought that somehow, that list of accomplishments was gonna help him secure righteousness. But he realized that that was never gonna happen. Look with me at verse seven and see what happens. But whatever gain I had, all of these things, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He realized that all of those things that he accomplished in his flesh, all those works of Judaism were a detriment to him really knowing Jesus because they led him away from him. He said, they are a loss in my personal life. He measured all of these things that he had accomplished against the person of Christ And all Christ had to offer him and realize that they were nothing. What a strong word. They were rubbish to him because he needed to know Jesus. So friends, what is in your past? What's back there? Well, I went to Sunday school since I was a child. I was baptized at this age. I was, this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me. He said, listen, if you don't know Jesus, it's all rubbish. Those are all external things compared to the reality of knowing who he is. So I have to put the past in the past, and there's an act that says, I'm done with this, I'm going to turn to Jesus. The reason for putting the past in the past, why do I do this? Paul gladly set aside his personal accomplishments so he could really know Christ. In other words, I don't want those, I want Jesus. Jim Elliott was a man who gave his life for the cause of Christ while, we can, while trying to reach a tribe of, of Indians in Central America. Here's what he said. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Look at it again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Wow. In my first pastorate in Wisconsin, I had so many who were of certain denominations that really didn't know Jesus. And friends would bring them to church and they would come to know Jesus and they would say to me, How can I leave this church over here where my grandma goes, where my mom goes, where my whole life was, and make this decision to follow Jesus? And I said, so do you want this and spend eternity in hell, or do you want this and spend eternity with Jesus? You're not a fool to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. You see, the apostle Paul had it right. He said, I knew what I had, and I also know what I didn't have. And I didn't have Jesus and I needed him. So, so the important thing is life, in life is not who we are. The important thing is not what we have done. 
The important thing is knowing God. Um, Jeremiah says this. This is what the Lord says. Let that the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. Wouldn't it be something if that fact centralized our conversations? Was the thing that was important, listen, let me talk about God with you. Now, last night, I imagine a lot of these television sets were tuned to a certain football game. I, listen, I've lived a long time, and there aren't many football games that lived up to the hype. That lived up to the hype last night. And so that occupies a lot of our conversations, doesn't it? Oh, did you see that? Compare how often we talk about the things of the earth to how often we talk about the things of God. We boast about we did this, we accomplished this, we saw this. Look at all of this over here. And here's the Lord saying, if you're going to boast, boast in this. I know God. I know who he is. He said, let him boast in that fact. And Paul said, listen, I saw all of this stuff in my life but I didn't really know God. And he said, I gave them all up so that I could know him. You see, to know Jesus is more than knowing about him. It is having this wonderful personal relationship with him. One day I was actually shocked as I sat in a deacon's meeting. You know, deacons are supposed to know everything about everything. At least at that time before we had elders, you know, the deacons knew it all. And, and I'm poking a little fun at them. They were the spiritual leaders of the church at the time. And I'll never forget one deacon saying in a deacon's meeting, you know what? Our pastor is right. It's all about a personal relationship with Jesus. And I went, I didn't think that was rocket science. I thought that's what it was all about all the time. We need to understand this, friends, Head knowledge is not enough. It is an intimate, personal relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ, that is necessary. This is what Jesus prayed for. He said in John 17, 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the knowledge we're talking about today. Paul realized that Christ was far superior. That's the word surpassing worth there in verse eight. The surpassing worth, he was so far superior to everything else, he tossed everything else aside and simply followed Jesus. So if I'm gonna really know Jesus, then I have to do something else. I have to possess his righteousness. Look at it in there, if you would, in verse nine. He said, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that, from God that depends on faith. One day Paul was on the road to Damascus, known as Saul then. He had to be found in Christ. He was not in Christ. And as he walked down the road, he saw a vision 
Ask him, why are you persecuting me? And on that day, Saul, who became the apostle Paul, met Jesus for the first time. And watch this. His life was forever changed. He was found in Christ. So today I have to ask this. Has there been a time in your life where you met Jesus and have been forever changed? Could your life today be described as being in Christ? Without that, you can't really know Jesus. Without that, you have no hope of heaven. Without that, you can't be in an intimate relationship with God the Father. It's all found because you're in Christ. There has to be a time where you met Jesus. And I know that looks different for all sorts of people. But the key is there has to be some time where you meet him and you begin that lifelong journey. Paul wanted his life to reveal one very important thing. And that was a deep spiritual union with Jesus. Paul's identity was not found in what he had accomplished or who he was. His identity was found in Christ alone. And we need a fresh, fresh dose of that today. Colin and I made the decision, I made the decision, and Colin shared in that with me, that the thing we wanted to pass on to our children and to our grandchildren was that we had a deep spiritual union with Christ. The greatest legacy you can ever leave your children and your grandchildren is your relationship with Jesus. I texted one of my grandchildren early today who's at Word of Life, Argentina. And I said, Carter, hope you're having a good day, buddy. I'm praying for you. I hope you've made a lot of friends down there. I mean, can you imagine this 18-year-old kid just, he's living in South America. Got to get used to a whole new culture, a whole new language, everything else. And he writes back and said, Grandpa, thanks. I've met so many good friends already. And watch this. I'm going today to serve in a ministry in a local church. What I, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children and grandchildren are walking in truth. They don't get there without you having a deep spiritual union with Christ and passing that faith on to another generation. So if you're here this morning and kind of, well, yeah, I'm here and I'm active in church, I'm doing, but you don't have that deep spiritual union, I want to challenge you today. For the sake of your children and your grandchildren, <clears throat> get that deep spiritual union where they know mom and dad walk with Jesus. Boy, do we need that today, don't we? Our culture is lost and we need some Christians to stand up and say, I know Jesus, and I'll show you my faith, my deep love relationship with him. To possess Jesus' righteousness, then you have to do something. You have to forsake your own righteousness. He said, I couldn't get this through the law. I couldn't get it on my own. Paul could never attain the righteousness he sought on his own works. He needed God's righteousness. 
And when Paul trusted Jesus, he gave up his self-righteousness, all those things, and gained the righteousness of Jesus. It, it works like this. The righteousness of Christ, and here's a biblical term, was imputed into Paul's life. It was charged literally to his account. Paul exchanged his spiritual bankruptcy for the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. When a person trusts Christ, their sin is put on Christ's account and Christ's righteousness is put on their account. Isn't that a great thing? I mean, just think, here's all of my sin and it's dumped to the account of Jesus Christ. And the most amazing thing in this world, he took his righteousness and dumped it into my account. Do you need a verse on that? Here it is, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I know Phil's given it to you many times. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that great? So from the moment I trusted Jesus, God the Father always looked at me and will always look at me in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. What a way to live, friends. I don't have to live identified by my sinfulness anymore. I can live identified by the righteousness of Christ. Boy, is that different. It changes how I live. To possess the righteousness of Christ, here's the deal. You have to receive it. Did you see that in verse nine? He said this comes through faith. Everything depends on faith. It is according to Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, a free gift of God that he just wants to give to you. You, however, must accept it. It cannot be earned, and it is not deserved. But forevermore, we will stand in the righteousness of Christ. Aren't you glad? Hmm. Now, let's get on to the nitty-gritty. To really know Jesus, you must desire him supremely. Here's the desire to know Jesus in verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What's Paul describing here? He is, he is describing an intimate, ever-growing relationship where Jesus is our friend and our constant companion. He's right there by our side every moment of every day. To know God in this way has been the goal of godly believers throughout history. Let me give you two examples. Here's Moses. Exodus 33, verse 13 says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, watch this, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. He said, God, teach me so that I can know you. How about David. Remember this great psalm, Psalm 63, how it starts? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. When, my friend, is the last time you have been so thirsty for God that nothing else satisfied you in life but God himself? That's what we're talking about, this intimacy with the Almighty, where you can't wait to meet with him, where you can't wait to talk with him. You can't wait to see what he's going to do on life's journey. And I'll tell you, this journey has a lot of ups and downs, doesn't it? But to look at him as you navigate that pathway of life and see what he does for you every single day. Then, as you get older, you can sing that song about all my days you have been faithful. And you can see what God has done in your personal life. So what's the depth of this knowledge? Well, there's three areas there that there's a depth of knowledge. First is the power of the resurrection. And we like that one, don't we? Give me the power. I want the power. It's the power of Christ that results in a new life for the believer. Here's here's something to shout about, friends. Christ lives in us. To know the power of the resurrection is the power of God to live a Christ-honoring, spirit-filled life. Here's what Paul said in Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a what? New life. A transformed life. A different life. Here's the good news. You and I no longer have to be held captive by sin. Are we going to mess up? Are we going to mess up? Do I have to continue to live messed up? No. That's the power of the resurrection that gives you freedom over continually living in the muck and the mire of sin. I want to know the power of the resurrection more and more in my life. You see, you and I need to understand that this resurrection transforms our life. But he doesn't stop there. I wish he did. Because I don't like the rest of this. He said, he said, I want to be conformed to the suffering of Christ. When is the last time you prayed, God, I want to suffer like Jesus suffered? I don't pray that way. I get enough bad stuff in life without praying that way. But he, the, the Apostle Paul said, I want to know Jesus so well. And one, I not only want to know the power, I want to know the suffering aspect as well. There is no power of the resurrection, listen to this, without sharing in Christ's sufferings. If you're going to know the power, you have to know the sufferings. The more we grow in our faith, the more we come under the attack of the enemy. We become targets for him because if there's one thing the enemy doesn't want you to do, it's succeed in your Christian life. He doesn't want you strong and vital. He wants you weak and ineffective for the cause of Christ. He doesn't want you telling anybody about Jesus. He wants you so overwhelmed and overcome by your problems that you can't think of anything else. But in the midst of that suffering, God is there to help us. 
we all understand that we live in a world that is hostile to Christ. And when we're identified with him, there will be suffering. You know, a lot of people believe in God. You know that, don't you? The thing that offends people and that makes it difficult is the name of Jesus. They don't like Jesus. Well, listen, if you don't like Jesus, you don't know God. Am I, am, am I right? Why? Because, listen, there's one way to God, and it's through Jesus. That's what John 14, 6 is all about. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you have a problem with Jesus, then I want to submit to you, you don't know God. You have to know Jesus. When we identify with Jesus, we will suffer. John 16, 33 says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I don't know how this happened when I was younger, but somehow this verse was drilled into my brain. I had to memorize that for something in Sunday school or one or something, I don't know, someplace along the line. And I can remember memorizing this verse and like, I don't understand this. I'm going to have trouble. I'm going to have trouble. And then you get to the end. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Listen, in the midst of your suffering, when you identify with Jesus, you're going to see the power of the resurrection. It's going to happen in your personal life. Now, this is not up on the screen. I apologize to you, but I didn't think to put it in until uh, yesterday. I was reading through 1 Peter, and I came to these verses and said, oh, John, why didn't you put that in there? Because it's so integral to what we're talking about in this whole area of suffering. If I'm going to be like Jesus, and I'm really get to know him, when we suffer for our faith, we must know how to respond if we are to be like Jesus. You're going to have trouble. How do you respond to that trouble? We need to respond like Jesus, Right? So life group leaders, I would write these verses down and I would talk about this of how we respond in trouble and how do we live this out. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Watch this. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And here's where you and I come in. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And here's the key. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When I suffer, I have to go, Father, you know about this. You need to handle this in my personal life. <coughs> Excuse me. So that... I'm able to move forward in the righteousness to which you have called me. The suffering that we have. And then to know the death of Jesus. What is Paul saying? I need to die like Jesus died? I don't know that that's entirely it for you and for me. I mean, you and I are not going to be crucified, are we? No, you can say it. No. We're not going to be crucified. What is he talking about? To know this death of Jesus means we are to take up our cross daily and follow him. I'm to identify with his death. And this death involves, I believe part of it, 
a death to our former way of life. I have to crucify that thing in my life. The things that I've gotten accustomed to, the things in my unsaved natural life that I clung to, I gotta get rid of them. And I wanna tell you, that's a hard task, isn't it? How many of you would say this morning, overcoming sin is a difficult task? No, could you put your hand up? The rest of you, would you lecture us, please, on how you do that? It is so tough. Paul knew it was tough. He said, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. I have to put it to death. You see, God doesn't want me hanging on to that old stuff. I have to crucify that. And the result of knowing Jesus, he says in verse 11, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What do you mean? Did Paul not know he was going to heaven? If anybody should have known, the apostle Paul should have known. My goodness. I don't think that's what he's talking about. He said, I'm doing all of this. I'm trusting Jesus so that I can be secure in the resurrection from the dead. What Paul didn't know, I'm going to be alive when Jesus comes. I'm going to be dead and resurrected from the dead. You see, the early church lived with the hope that Jesus could come at any moment. Boy, do we need a return of that today, don't we? Live with an expectancy that today Jesus could come. So all of that in the next seven minutes that I have, we're going to try and wrap this up. To really know Jesus gives us a brand new goal. See, if I know him, then it's going to result in something different in my life. Notice in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He said, all of this stuff I'm talking about, I want to make it personal in my life. Why? Because God has changed my life. And Paul admitted he hadn't arrived yet. He still had a journey ahead of him. Paul knew that he wasn't always living in the power of the resurrection or always living in fellowship with the suffering of Jesus. Parents, could you be honest with your children and say you don't always have your act together? Secret? They already know it. And if you stopped living like you were perfect, it would help your kids and help you help them. Paul said, I haven't made it. Paul, like us, had a constant struggle with his fleshly nature. Paul said in Romans 7, 8, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Anybody in here identify with Paul? I want to do the right thing, but so often I mess up. Here's a statement that I find true with myself. Paul was satisfied with Christ, but dissatisfied with his Christian life. He wasn't where he wanted to be. He messed up far too often. The problem is that many Christians have become self-satisfied as they compare their lives with other Christians, so they think they're successful. I mean, that person stopped going to church. I still go to church. That person watched something on television or at a movie that I, I would never watch. 
that person said this, I would never talk like that. The measuring stick of success is not another Christian. It is Christ. The measuring stick of success is not another Christian. It is Christ. Don't we need that today? As Paul measured himself, he knew that he had a long way to go. And if we are honest with ourselves, we know that we're often far away from the standards that God has given to us. No matter how much we grow in the knowledge and the holiness of God, there will always be more room for growth. You know the thing that keeps me going no matter how old I get? There's still more to know about Jesus. There's still more room for growth in my life. There's still more to push on to, more more success in knowing him. So how do we pursue the right goal? Here it is in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. It's there, it is again. How do I do it? Put the past in the past again. We must put both our sins, watch this, and our positive experiences in the Christian life in the past. You know, as we get older, sometimes what we do as Christians is we live on our past laurels. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, the church isn't what it used to be? Praise God for that. We should be growing and moving forward in our knowledge of Jesus. Stop living in the past, whether it's good or bad. Friends, I know a lot of you have had traumatic things in your past. Would you listen carefully to me, please? We cannot let what happened to us in our unsaved condition paralyze us. We cannot let the disappointments and temptations of the past depress us. We cannot let what somebody, ha- what somebody did to us in the past keep us from moving forward. We cannot let the thought of, the, of what God has already done in and through us lead us to ineffectiveness in our lives and in our service for him. You see, too many Christians are trying to run the race looking backward and not looking at the goal that's in front of them. We're to forget the past. That doesn't mean that we can get it out of our mind. It means that we will choose to no longer be affected and influenced by our past. It's done. I'm not going to let that hang over my life anymore. It's forgiven in the blood of Christ. I'm a new creation in Jesus I'm moving on in life and put the past in the past. As long as we've made things right with God and with others, we should never let the past hinder us in any way. Friends, there are too many Christians who are shackled by the past while others are distracted by the success of the past. Could we leave here with the past in the past? And move forward for the cause of Christ. In this intimate relationship with him. We must be determined to keep pursuing the goal. Look at it there in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see Paul's determination? He said, I'm going to put everything I can into this goal. He said in verse 12, I press on. In verse 13, one thing I do. 
straining towards what is ahead in verse 13. I press on in verse 14. The picture is that of a sprinter running the race and he, he leans forward as far as he can to break the tape at the end of the finish line. He said, I'm moving forward as much as I can. I'm leaning into this thing and I'm gonna succeed for the cause of Jesus Christ. Paul had a singleness of purpose. One thing I do, I'm going for the goal. Friends, there will be no greater joy at the end of our lives than to have lived for the purpose for which we've been saved. No greater joy, but also there'll be no greater tragedy at the end of our lives than to realize we miss the purposes of God. The last thing in your notes is this. Our pursuit in life is one simple goal. Christ-likeness. That's the goal that we need to pursue. The songwriter had it right, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like him. The goal we must keep our eyes on is not to be a successful Christian. It is to be like Christ. So the question, all the way back to the beginning, do you really know Jesus? If you come to a point in your life where you've turned away from sin to trust Jesus, do you know who Jesus is but not really know him? Or have you known him better in the past than you know him today? Or are you living in an ever-growing, intimate relationship with Jesus? Today, if that's not where you are, then would you, would you have the courage to say, I need to change today? And I need to walk out of here with a desire to have an ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. For some of you who don't know Jesus, we're going to have a group of our, our prayer team down front and they would love to show you how you can walk out of this building knowing Jesus and starting this lifelong adventure with him to really know God through knowing Jesus Christ. And if today you used to walk closer to Jesus than you are today, I wonder if you'd just come down and pray with one of the team members and just say, hey, I want to walk out of here with a real renewed desire to know Jesus. And wouldn't it be great if we had a church full of people who had the goal of Christ-likeness with an ever-growing intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It's what God desires. You want to join me in that pursuit? Well, that was discouraging. You, you want to join me in that pursuit? Why don't you stand with me and let me pray with you. And if our team members can help you, they'll be glad to pray with you. In the back are some the offering things for the officer appreciation. Don't forget to give. Father, bless us. Help us. God, there are some in this room who need to make some decisions about Jesus. I pray that right now they would make those decisions. Change hearts and change lives. Send us out from here with a desire to really know you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.